All right. So um, let me just recap a few key points from the last two lessons. So uh, the very first lesson, two Sundays ago, we were, uh, you know, we were talking about um, the uh, uh, the foundational concepts, which is we need to first of all understand what is God's part in handling money and what is our part in handling money. So uh, as we saw, God's part, there were three main concepts that uh, that we studied, uh, and I'm just going to quickly summarize these. First of all. Uh, it's a concept of ownership, which means that God owns everything. Okay, God is the owner of everything in our life, not just a portion of the money we have, not just a portion of uh, our talents that we have, our time, whatever, uh, but he owns everything. And, uh, you know, and, and therefore, you know, when, uh, when we uh, get that concept into our minds and, and uh, in, our, in our thinking, uh, then it sort of changes our attitude to things and circumstances in life, right? Uh, then the second uh, second part is that God is in control. So this is uh, about the sovereignty of God, right? God is fully in control of everything that goes on uh, in our lives, uh, whether they are, uh, you know, uh, positive circumstances or negative circumstances. It doesn't uh, doesn't much matter. Uh, you know, God is in control. So. Uh, regardless of the kind of job we have uh, or don't have, um, maybe we don't have a job, you know, God is in control. And I think uh, it's, and, and he has a purpose behind everything that, um, that uh, you know, that, uh, that goes on in our lives. And then the third uh, one is that God has promised to provide, or God's role is to provide, God's part is to make provision for our basic needs. So we saw the difference between uh, needs and wants. Right? God has always promised to provide for our needs, but uh, not necessarily for our wants. He hasn't told us how he's going to provide. Uh, but he has promised to provide, right? He's always with us. Uh, he's always, uh, you know, uh, ready to give us uh, whatever our needs are. And I think in the context of what we're going through, uh, you know, in these times, it's important to keep these, these concepts in mind as the foundational principles, um, you know, because, uh, you know, I've heard from several, even some of you who might be on this uh, class that, uh, you know, some of you are having to take pay cuts, uh, 20%, 50%. Some of you are taking no pay at all, um, you know, and uh, obviously it's going to introduce some uh, difficulties and some pressures uh, on you. Uh, but, uh, you know, you need to think about... Uh, you know, keep these things in mind, right? That God is in control. So he's in control. He knows what you need and he has allowed you to be in that situation where you have, uh, you know, you have this uh, reduction in pay or uh, complete cut in pay, whatever might be the situation. And certainly God wants you to learn certain things through these circumstances because, you know, we've got to relate this back to the fact that, um, you know, that we are being conformed to the image of God's son, right? Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's what our journey of sanctification is all about. It's about uh, us going from starting off being, you know, people who are very fleshly and not, um, um, you know, not following God and his word towards becoming con completely conformed to the image of, of, of the son of God, which will ultimately happen uh, in eternity. 
uh, when we are in the presence of God, but throughout life, that journey is sort of going from here to there. Okay, and uh, and all of us are on different, um, you know, different points along that journey. Some of us are here, some of us are here, some of us are just starting out. Uh, but uh, God uses our circumstances, whether it's the sufferings that we. Um, so our part is faithful stewardship, right? We got to be faithful um, as stewards. Steward means a manager that uh, that God has given us His resources. He's the owner of His of the resources that He's given to us. And we need to, uh, you know, we need to um, uh, be faithful, right? Use it according to the instructions of, of the master, of the owner, uh, of the resources that he's given to us, right? Uh, and this is very, very important. Uh, so we've got to be faithful regardless of how much we have. So this, everything that we are studying here in this class is not just for people who have a lot of money. Uh, and I can tell you I'm not uh, teaching it simply because I'm somebody... Uh, who might be blessed financially. Uh, certainly that's something God has allowed. But uh, these are things that I've been teaching for a long, long time. And I studied them back when I was in my mid-20s, uh, you know, early 20s, uh, and have been practicing, you know, long before I ever got into the kind of job that I have today. Uh, you know, for almost uh, more than 30 years now, I've been, I've been uh, living by these principles. Um, so it doesn't matter. It's not just for people who... Uh, who have a lot it's for everybody regardless of you know regardless of how much you have okay and that's that's an important uh, point that we need to uh, keep in mind okay um, and uh, then um, uh, we have to uh, remember that God holds us accountable okay for all these things regardless of how much he has given to us right regardless of how much we have and then we have to be faithful in little things so this is sort of the same point here that uh, God is, you know, God, uh, we, we talked about the parable of the, of the talents, you know, and, and uh, the Lord says, you know, if you can't be faithful in little things, then how can you be given charge over more? And I, I think it's true that, that sometimes God provides more because you are proven to be faithful and he knows that he will handle things, uh, you know, in the way that you want him to, right? Um, so, uh, so these are just some of the principles around, uh, Faithful stewardship, we need to be faithful with the possessions of others, realize, uh, you know, that that we need to take good care of those things. Uh, And uh, then last week, uh, we talked about death, right? And we talked about the dangers of the the debt uh, uh, lifestyle. uh, And uh, some of the consequences were, you know, the high financial cost of debt, uh, you know, that that we we pay a, a lot of, lot in terms of interest. We looked at some examples, the stress that debt causes. And some of you uh, were, uh, were able to uh, jump in and give some personal examples. Whether it was your parents or, uh, or other friends or other family members who cause stress. Um, that uh, debt leads to a denial of reality, which causes financial bondage ultimately. So basically it allows you to artificially increase your standard of living um, because uh, you know, you're able to buy things that you really can't afford. So you don't have the money, but you're able to take on debt and keep making payments. And so you gradually start increasing your standard of living and you are basically in bondage to whoever you borrowed the money from, whether it's a bank or, uh, you know, whoever it is that you borrowed money from. Uh, and, uh, uh, and you know, as you increase your standard of living, it becomes a bit of a trap uh, because you have to maintain that standard of living. Now, everybody has seen your standard of living 
And all of a sudden, if you're having to give it up, then, uh, you know, you wonder, start thinking, well, what's everybody going to think? And then you start getting into more debt and it becomes addictive, right? And you talked about how there are debt counselors in certain countries, uh, especially in the West, where people have become so addictive to spending on their credit cards and, uh, and they just can't stop and they just keep taking one loan to pay off another loan, another loan, even higher interest rate. Um, we saw that debt presumes upon the future. So it makes a lot of assumptions that things are going to be uh, rosy in the future. For example, you know, maybe uh, six months ago or a year ago, you took on all these EMIs, okay? Uh, for whatever, for a car, for a house, for furniture, for, you know, even household appliances, who knows what, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, you lose your job. Uh, and, uh, and you did that assuming, you know what, and you might have even done all these calculations in your head, you know, here's how much I'm going to get paid today. I'm going to get this much of an increment in January or March. And uh, so, yeah, I can afford this, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, pay cut or lost job, right? And then you're sitting with all these uh, EMIs and not able to pay. It deprives God of a chance to provide or deny. So very often um, what happens is that rather than uh, our spending decisions, our debt decisions becoming a spiritual decision, uh, it becomes a material decision, right? It's based on my ability to afford a loan rather than my ability to afford the thing. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, you don't really even need to go to God because the bank is willing to give you the money, right? Uh, and, uh, and also we rush into these things and, and we don't wait on the Lord. We don't wait on him to, uh, to provide in his own way, right? We don't, um, it, it becomes... Uh, you know, very often the, whether God provides us or not is a way for him to show us his will, right? Um, and uh, then it's a loss of opportunity. So you're paying all this interest to somebody else and that's money that could be, uh, you know, instead of servicing your debt, uh, you know, it's money that could be saved, could money that could be uh, given back to the Lord for meeting the needs of others. Uh, and so it's a loss, it's a loss of opportunity. So let's look at uh, whether it is, um, you know, when is debt permissible? Is it, is it really okay? Is it ever okay? Is it never okay? And what we saw last week is that, uh, you know, debt is not absolutely forbidden, but it is strongly discouraged. And we looked at all the verses in Proverbs and other places and how, you know, the, um, the, uh, the borrower is servant to the lender uh, and you are really putting yourself in bondage and how if you, are in debt, you know, in Proverbs, there's a lot of instruction around, you know, go quickly, right? Go quickly before you fall into the trap or you're already in the trap, get yourself out of that situation. So, uh, and then scripture does talk about different guidelines on, on lending, uh, although it stops, uh, it, it gives very strong warnings against the dangers of debt. So here we have on the one hand, something that that is not, uh, is presented to us as something that's very dangerous, right? And this is, maybe a little bit of a lesson in how you form principles around this biblical principles, right? Um, very rarely does the Bible tell us yes or no, absolutely you can or cannot do something. Okay? There are a lot of things where it does that, but there are a lot of things it doesn't more often than not, you know, you don't have a clear answer because life is, is not always black and white, right? And, and the Lord wants us to study the scriptures to, um, you know, internalize them and then use the principles and scriptures uh, put it all together holistically and come up with our own thinking around these, that that's part of the transformation of the mind. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, uh, so 
Scripture gives guidelines about lending at the same time it warns strongly about debt. And so, and then it also, uh, what we can conclude from that is that debt should not be normative. Okay? Debt should not be a normal thing in our lives. We should not be so uh, leveraged by debt that we are just complete debtors and we are sort of living on a sea of debt. Uh, and then we, we should make an effort, uh, you know, every effort to get out of debt as soon as possible. So we, again, saw some, some passages of scripture that, uh, that basically told us that, right? So, uh, you know, uh, when should I go or when, well, that should not say when should I go, when is it okay to go into debt? Um, and, and we looked at some principles, right, uh, to, uh, to help us guide, to help guide us in this decision. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, first of all, the item that is purchased is an appreciating or an income producing asset, right? So you want to make sure that, uh, uh, that the value of what you're buying, the value of the item exceeds what you owe. So you don't want to go and uh, just buy a you know zero down payment, put a zero down payment loan on something, right? Uh, that means you know you are owing more than what the value is worth because the moment you buy it, uh, it's going to depreciate in value, come down in value. Um, you know uh, the size of the debt doesn't strain our budget, and we'll talk in another lesson about budgets. Um, Third or fourthly, it doesn't cause us to violate our convictions. So it's not causing you to do something wrong uh, against scripture. It doesn't cause us to rob God of his due. So what this means is we're going to talk about giving today. You know, that uh, the uh, debt that we're taking on, the additional debt, is not going to stop us from uh, from uh, uh, taking God, uh, from, from giving to the Lord. So we end up in a situation where we can't give to the Lord what we had committed to give because uh, we have to, we've taken on this additional debt. Uh, it should not restrict our response, the Holy Spirit prompting to give to others. So very often as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. He might prompt us to give to the needs of others. And very often we're not able to do that because, you know, we have this obligation where we would get in trouble if we don't repay our loans, our EMIs, uh, you know, make the monthly payments. Uh, and so it restricts us, Right. Um, it does not restrict our response to Holy Spirit's call to move or change. So very often, you know, I give the example of people who, who are, um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, have a desire or a call to go into the service of the Lord, into full-time work. And, and very often they're not able to respond to that because, uh, you know, they've got so much debt, they've got to pay it off, right? So uh, we looked at God's approach and man's approach in, in all of these things that we've talked about. You know, God plays no role in handling money. Uh, my happiness is based on being able to afford my desired standard of living. What I possess, I alone own and I control my destiny. You earned your money, now spend it any way you choose and you'll be happy. Uh, and you may use your debt as often as you wish. You know, buy now, pay later. Don't worry about tomorrow. Okay, so that is sort of man's approach to finances that we've looked at so far. And then God's approach is very, very much different. Right? God says in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, neither are your, my thoughts, your thoughts. Um, and the scriptural principles, if we follow them, you know, in the area of handling our money, uh, they help to draw us closer to Christ and learn to be content in every circumstance. Okay, what I possess, God owns. God is the owner of everything. He's sovereign. He's in control. Uh, and then uh, you, know, you can only be content if you have been a faithful steward handling money from the Lord's perspective. So we need to be faithful stewards who are content with what we have. So the Lord gives us little, we're content with that. If he gives us more, we're content with that. 
we're not desiring more than what he has given. He knows what is best. And then the Lord discourages the use of debt because he wants us free to serve him. Okay, He wants us free to uh, make wise decisions. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. Okay, So uh, with that, we're going to move into giving, but I, I just want to make a, a general, uh, just maybe take a little bit of a tangent here and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, this lesson as a whole and, uh, and how, uh, how I, oh, I just want to put it in a little bit of context uh, and I'll just take a few minutes to do that, right? So, uh, you know, very often these are all good principles, okay? Uh, and, uh, you know, we can always, anybody, you know, you don't have to be a Christian, you can be, a, you know, even you don't believe in God, uh, you know, I believe that if you follow some of these principles, it will have certain benefits to you, right? But that's not really why we are teaching this. Uh, you know, uh, the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples was to go into all the world and make disciples of all men, teaching them to observe uh, all the things that I have commanded you, right? And uh, in Romans 12, he, he talks about, uh, you know, somebody alluded to that this morning, I think Jebin uh, this morning in the in the, uh, the remembrance meeting, you know that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and we are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. Uh, in fact, if you look in that Romans chapter twelve, later on in verse thirteen, he talks about distributing to the needs of the saints. Right. He's talking about the subject of giving, uh, and, and he's pointing out there that that kind of giving is a result of a transformed mind. Right. So God wants us to have our minds transformed. But this transformation, as I mentioned earlier, there is, a, there is a certain starting point in the life of a person where this transformation happens, right? So we're not just teaching here something, some good financial practices that if you follow, uh, you know, you're going to become rich or if you follow. All right. So, uh, you know, as I was saying, the, um, uh, you know, these things like giving and all these things, you know, we're not just teaching it to teach some good principles okay it's not just about that but it's about transformation in one's life and that transformation begins at a certain point in life uh, you know when you get into a relationship with God so our fundamental problem as human beings is not that we don't know how to handle money it's not that we're too materialistic all of those are results of of the sin in our lives right so in Romans 323 uh, the word of God the Bible says that all have sinned and and come short of the glory of God. Okay, everybody has sinned that we have a broken relationship with God. In fact, in Romans five twelve, it talks about how the first man, Adam, sinned, right? And our sin in our lives is just a, a representation of that sin of Adam, right? It's our own version of that sin carrying through in our lives. Uh, and Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death. Uh, that uh, you know because of our sin. We're all condemned to die. We know that we're all going to die one day. People are very scared about dying today because of the coronavirus. But the fact is that, you know, more people die in India uh, of traffic accidents than, uh, than the coronavirus. Okay? Even if you extrapolate it for a full year, okay, some 150,000 people every year die of traffic fatality. So we're all going to die, whether it's by coronavirus or some disease or old age or, you know, some crime maybe. Uh, you know, death is, is part of, part of uh, uh, a sinful world, right? Uh, and so how do you repair this relationship with God? And I just want to share that a bit for a minute before I get into this, this uh, next topic on giving, right? And that is that 
you know, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins, right? Romans uh, 3.25, it says that God passed over our sins and punished Christ for those sins. Uh, and, uh, and we can be justified freely by the grace of God. And so it's important that, uh, you know, uh, I, I just turn to the Bible and read uh, a passage here from the book of Romans uh, chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5 and verse uh, 6 through 8. It, uh, it says uh, as follows. Uh, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly is all of us. All of us are sinners. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for us. Why? Uh, the reason for his death is not to give us a, a fulfilling life or help us to, you know, to deal with our finances, but rather he died to deal with the biggest problem we have, which is the problem of sin, which causes death and eternal separation from God. Christ died uh, as a penalty for our sins so that we can have eternal life. And uh, the biggest need that all of us have as human beings is to receive the free gift of salvation, right? Romans 6.23, I, I talked about earlier, it says the wages of sin is death. And then there's a but there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the gift of God is eternal life and we need to, um, we need to uh, really come to terms with this reality, right? Have we received, have I received, have you received that gift of eternal life from God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And how can you do that? Uh, how can you receive that? In Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and, and God has raised him up from the dead, then it says you will be saved, right? So before you, before any of us worry about how to deal with our finances or how to, you know, whether debt is right or wrong, whether how much should we give, how much should we keep back, you know, all of these are good things. But the first thing that all of us need to, I just want to make clear on this point that, that the first thing that we all need is really to get into a relationship with God. A lot of what we're talking about here, it's very, very difficult to practice unless, uh, you know, God is really guiding you, right? Unless your mind is being transformed. And that transformation starts at the point where you get into that relationship with God. So, um, you know, what I presented to, to you right now is, is the essence of what we call the gospel or the good news. And it's good news because it gives eternal life to all, all mankind, anyone who desires. You know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor, I will uh, give you life, right? I will give you rest. Uh, and, uh, and it's only by trusting in him that you first take care of the, the most fundamental problem we have, which is not dealing with money, but dealing with the issue of sin in our lives. And I just hope that as we go through the study that we won't get caught up in the, uh, in, um, or that we won't lose sight of this uh, important aspect of uh, the fact that we first need to deal with the sin in our lives, right? Uh, and that's just a very, very important point. So with that, we're going to start talking about this uh, very important subject of giving. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, this is something that interests a lot of people because uh, a lot of us uh, sort of have this notion in our mind that, you know, that, uh, that we have to give to the Lord. I don't think 
we have to convince anybody that they have to give to the Lord. The the doubts and the uh, uh, you know the um, uh, questions all come into the matter of how much will we give, right? What is the what is the right uh, amount uh, to give? And uh, and hopefully we'll get to that today. But first of all, uh, you know what is uh, you know what is giving? So here's Mr. Bean is going to the movies with. Uh, you know, with this woman and, uh, and he won't share his, pop, his popcorn. And he says, no, that's mine. Stay away from it, right? So that's a mentality that a lot of us have. So what is giving? Uh, giving is, uh, you know, if you were to define it, it's surrendering a portion of our material possessions to meet the needs of others rather than ourselves, okay? So it's spending your money, okay, on others, um, you know, rather than on yourself. So not on your own needs but on the needs of others and uh, it is also it means that it's an acknowledgement that God is the true source and the owner of our material wealth okay of all that we have so uh, if you go back to scripture in the um, in, uh, in Exodus starting in Exodus and then you know Leviticus Deuteronomy all of these you know there's always this um, notion that that God uh, tries to teach the children of Israel saying that you know you need to give the first of what you have to me, right? Whether, you know, for example, uh, you know, he says that you are to consecrate your firstborn to me, right? The first of what you get, you are to consecrate or give as a gift to me, uh, bring to the temple the first fruits, okay, from your harvest. So whenever you're harvesting uh, the first fruits, you know, you bring to the, uh, to God. So this concept of, uh, and the reason for that was to, was to embed within their minds that, um, you know, that um, uh, the uh, everything they have, right? Go back to that, that first principle I talked about, right? Uh, the foundational principle, which is that God is the owner of everything. He's the true source of everything. In James uh, chapter one, it says that, um, you know, every, uh, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights, from the Lord of love, right? Everything we have, our talents, our, our, our material wealth, uh, our possessions, they all come from the Lord. So, so this, this matter of giving, okay, surrendering a portion of our material possessions to meet the needs of others uh, is, is, is a way for us to acknowledge that, you know what, uh, even though I may have been the one who worked for this, even, even though you might think, humanly speaking, that I earned this, I worked hard, it's through my, my, my sweat and, and, uh, and hard physical labor uh, or whatever kind of labor you do, that I earned this, you are, you are acknowledging that, you know what, it's not just me, right? It is the grace of God, right? It is the grace of God. He's the one who's given me health. He's the one who's given me the ability, uh, the physical ability to do the work, the mental ability to do the work. He's the one who's allowed me to excel. And so I acknowledge that by giving something back to him. Okay, so it's an acknowledgement that God is the true source. Okay, God is the true source of, uh, of everything that we have, right? And what does giving look like? Okay, giving can take uh, uh, many different forms. Uh, and uh, let's just look at one of them. So it involves surrendering money to meet the needs of others, as we talked about. Uh, it can also involve, uh, you know, non-monetary possessions. So it's not just about giving some money or some cash, but maybe you give, you know, many of us give away clothes, right? Many of us might give away, uh, you know, a, a house uh, you know, or, or something that uh, that we um, sorry about that. 
you know, something uh, material, right? Some, some possession, uh, household stuff, right? Uh, it can take place sometimes even if you retain ownership. So, so again, you're meeting the needs of others. So it's not always just giving, although we're going to talk about uh, here today about somewhere, something that we completely give. That's what we're focused on. But, but giving in our life is a, I'm just looking at it a little holistically here. Right. Even if you give somebody needs something immediately, you know, for, for some purpose, you give it to them. Right. Uh, simple things. You know, uh, somebody needs a car to use. OK. Uh, you lend them, you give them your car keys and say, here, so go use it. Right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, yesterday, uh, uh, Ben, okay, Ben gave to me. We had a big uh, we had a big uh, trauma in our house. OK. Our uh, one of my daughter's cats fell down from the fourth floor down to the first floor and broke two of her legs. Okay. So, you know, we didn't have a vehicle to take her to the pet hospital and, and Ben lives nearby, thankfully. And I called him up and he came immediately and, you know, took, uh, took Lisa with a cat down there. That's, that's a way of giving, right? You're, you're meeting somebody's need. Uh, he didn't give up his car or anything. He didn't say, yeah, you take my car and keep it, you know, and, uh, okay. But, but he, he provided for that need, right? Um, so, uh, so those are just the different uh, avenues of giving, the different, uh, different uh, ways that, that giving looks like. So uh, why, why should we bother? Okay? Why is giving important? Why should we even be studying about it? Well, first of all, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they place a great deal of emphasis on giving. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, there are more verses. So I talked about when we started this lesson, that there are some 2,000 some verses in the Bible, right, about money, right? And uh, uh, within money, the subtopic that is talked about most, of which there are more verses, is on this matter of giving. There are entire chapters almost that talk about giving, like right? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We'll come to those a little later. So, uh, and then the Bible condemns, you know, Scripture condemns covetousness and greed, but it encourages charity, right? It always... Uh, talks about charity in a positive way, talks about covetousness and greed in a negative way. Uh, and then when we look at the example of the early church, here are a group of people who were, you know, uh, who got transformed, right? They were saved, as I, as I was talking the gospel earlier, you know, by hearing the gospel that was preached by Peter and the apostles, they got saved and they came together in Acts 2, verse 44 and 45. We see that that everyone brought what he had, right? They sold their possessions, they brought what they had, they laid it at the feet of the apostles, right? And uh, and they gave to whoever had need, right? They shared what they had. So, uh, you know, this was a striking characteristic of the early church. Uh, it is something that they practiced. Uh, and again, we are commanded to practice that later on uh, in the epistles, right? So, uh, you know, very often we think of ourselves as following a New Testament pattern of church, uh, of church and 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 yet we we sort of have struggled in this area of giving and I can just tell you that uh, having been taught by the Lord tremendously over the last thirty years in this area of giving uh, it has really uh, benefited me spiritually it has benefited and, and done a lot uh, you know a blessing to to many others as well as to the work of the Lord so let's just look at the benefits of giving you know why should we give Okay, so first of all, you know, it increases our intimacy with the Lord. Uh, and uh, a good verse for this is Matthew 6, 21, uh, which uh, the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, 
He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, and, and we know that this is true in our own lives, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, you're always uh, checking, especially lately, if you've got some, uh, some uh, investments in the, in the stock market, you know, we all know since, uh, you know, February, March and this coronavirus pandemic hit, stock market has been going down, right? And I'm sure those of you who have investments have been checking, those investments say, oh my goodness, you know, uh, because our heart is there, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So when you give, okay, when you give to the Lord liberally, when you give generously, okay, what will happen is that your focus will be in those, in the things of the Lord. And as you focus more and more on the things of the Lord, uh, you know, your intimacy, your relationship with the Lord will become far more intimate, far more closer. Uh, second, uh, it, uh, it helps to develop our character. Okay. It breeds unselfishness. So when you start thinking uh, about others, right? First uh, Timothy 6, 18 and 19, it says, let them do good, ready to give, willing to share that they may lay hold on eternal life. It is, it is sort of a characteristic of one who has eternal life that, that you are willing to share, that you are ready to give at any, any, any moment in time. And, uh, you know, we talked about uh, being conformed to the image of, of, of God's Son, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you are saved, once you have believed in the gospel and you've received Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, you are being conformed to the image, to his image, to become like him. You know, and you look at the character of Christ, he was unselfish. Okay, if, uh, Philippians chapter 2 says that, uh, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and his humility. And it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he gave it up and he came down to the world and he humbled himself uh, unto death, even death on the cross. Why? So that you and I may have eternal life. That is the most unselfish act that any human being has ever done. Okay, God became man. He gave up everything he had, became man. He was scorned. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was hung upon a cross. Uh, and, uh, and he did it not for himself. He did that, he went through that, not because he deserved it, but no, because you and I, uh, you know, so that we might have eternal life. And, and this is the ultimate example of, of, of uh, selflessness or unselfishness. And so as we start giving more and more of what we have, as we start giving more and more to the needs of others, uh, to the ministry of the Lord, it develops that character of unselfishness within us. Okay, and then uh, we are investing for all of eternity. Okay, so Matthew 6, 20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's talking about the fact that, you know, the, uh, the money that you have uh, over here, right? It, it can be gone in a minute. Okay, you know, stock market tanks and all your wealth is gone. You know, business goes bad and, and, and it's all gone, right? So, uh, but, but what does Jesus say again in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And, and Philippians 4.17, the Apostle Paul, he's commending the Philippian church, the members of the Philippian church about their giving. And he says this, he says, and they gave to him, they gave to meet Paul's needs. He says, not that I seek the gift. So he says, I'm not seeking the gift. It's not like I needed your gift. 
Okay, I'm thankful to you or thank you for giving it to me. It shows your generosity. He commends him, but he says, I'm not commending you because I needed the gift that I really wanted the gift because, you know, I trust in God. He talks about, you know, my God supplying all my needs and all those things. And, and he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. So the implication there is that, is that each of us has an account. Okay, just like you have a bank account, right? Something you can relate to. You know, we put money in, you know, the bank balance goes up. We pull money out and spend it, the bank balance goes down. And, and Paul is almost implying that by you giving to me, it's not that you met my need, but you are laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. You know, I, there is fruit coming to you, not now, but in eternity. Okay, you may get some fruit now, but he's talking about the eternal fruit that is being laid up in your account. And this is something we have to believe by faith because obviously you can see that we don't get a statement every month from the, uh, you know, the bank of heaven saying, uh, you know, George Mutter, your account, you gave so much and therefore so much is abounding. No, we believe by faith, uh, you know, because the word of God tells us this and Jesus himself commands us to, uh, you know, to lay up treasures in heaven. It means that there, it is possible to lay up treasures in heaven. Okay? I don't understand all of the theology around that. It doesn't really get into all that in scripture, but it's very clear uh, that this is, this is a, a real concept. Okay. Then, um, you know, and I want to uh, look at these two things. Uh, and I put this down here saying increase in material blessings. Okay. And I want to be very careful with this because, um, you know, this is something that's very, very misused especially by the teachers of the prosperity gospel. For those who don't know the prosperity gospel, we studied it in that uh, lesson a few weeks ago. You know, the purveyors of the prosperity gospel say that, you know, if you give to the Lord or you give to the Lord so that you may get more back. Okay. Now people are a little afraid to talk about this uh, because they think that they are moving into prosperity. That's not, we don't believe in that. We don't believe it's true, but the word of God does teach uh, that uh, that if you give with the proper attitude, okay, it can and might and may God may choose to bless you materially, okay. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty four and twenty five says, uh, "There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself." Okay, Luke 6.38, uh, the Lord Jesus says, give, uh, give and it will be given to you. How? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it's always money. It means that you will get the blessings of God. Maybe it's a spiritual blessing. Maybe it's a material blessing. Okay, but the uh, probably the most instructive passage uh, on this topic is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to just turn to this. Uh, we're going to spend a few moments uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is, again, uh, this is probably the 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are the passages that talk the most about this subject of giving and from which we can draw a lot of principles, Okay. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8. Um, so I'm going to read this out. So please follow along. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap, will also reap sparingly. 
and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's a verse that many of us know. Uh, it gets put onto plaques and all these kind of things and cards and all. And God, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, I want to I wanna just break this verse down. Okay, so he starts off saying that you need to sow generously. Okay, you need to give generously, right? He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he says, be cheerful givers. Be, uh, you know, giving from your heart. You know, not, uh, not because you have to, not because there's something called a tithe and, you know, but but you really want to, you're prompted in your heart, you know, you have that, that giving heart, that, 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 that mind of giving, right? And you give uh, not grudgingly or not, not because, you know, George Chen said so, or, you know, uh, there's a rule because you're trying to follow a rule. No, but you give, uh, you know, as you purpose in your heart and you do it cheerfully, right? Because God loves a cheerful giver. So God doesn't necessarily love a grudging giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Okay, now listen to uh, verse 8. Okay, it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. What is grace? Grace is the favor of God. Okay, unmerited favor of God. So God is able to make all favor abound to you that you always having all sufficiency. Now, this is the consequence of the cheerful giver. Okay, it's the result of being a cheerful giver, all right? So it says God is able to make all grace abound toward you. So the result of your giving, the result of you being a cheerful giver is number one, that you, uh, that, that, that you are blessed, all right? You are blessed that God makes all grace abound toward you. And then what? That you always having all sufficiency in all things. Okay, number two, you will, uh, you know, you will have all your needs met, okay? If you are a cheerful giver, Right? No matter what your circumstance, if you are a cheerful giver, you will have all of your needs met. Okay? Uh, always having all sufficiency in all things. Right? You will have all your needs met. And then third point, it says that there is a response. Okay? He says that you may have an abundance. Okay? So he says you will have an abundance. Okay? As you give cheerfully, God will bless you. He will not only meet your needs, but you may have an abundance as well. Why? Okay, is it so that you can now increase your lifestyle? Is it so that you can spend more on yourself as the prosperity people say so that you can buy, you know, some of them have gold-plated toilets and all kinds of nonsense and, uh, you know, private jets and, and all these things. You can go on the internet and read about all these, you know, people like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and people like that. I don't want to get into all that. But, but that's not what it's for. It says that you may have an abundance for every good work. And what is the good works he's talking about? You can, you can expand that to be all kinds of good works, but in the context here, he's talking about the cheerful giver. And he's talking about so that you can give even more, right? So that increase that comes from material blessing, it is scriptural. Okay, God will bless you. Okay, he will bless you by making sure that you, your needs are met. And then he, will, he may even give you more so that you can then turn around and, and, and bless others, okay? So that's, that's a very important point to understand. And then there's one more point, which is that 
which is the benefit of giving, is that you meet the needs of the saints and you abound, and, and, and it abounds in thanksgiving to God. Okay? And we go back to 2 Corinthians 9 and look at verse 12 through 14. Again, I'll read this uh, carefully and slowly. So he's talking here about the recipients of the gift, okay? the recipients of the gift. And many of us have been involved uh, recently in giving. Uh, you know, we know about these uh, people who are, uh, uh, who are starving, you know, who don't have food, the laborers, you know, other believers who are laborers and who are, uh, uh, who, who are not able to have food. You know, the food the government gives is not sufficient. And, and, you know, we have this Operation Hunger and things like that going on that we were helping out with, uh, you know, with the finances. So, so keep that in mind as we read this, right? For it says, for the administration of this service. Now, what is the service? He's talking here again about the Corinthian believers giving, right? He says, for the administration of this service, the service of giving not only supplies the needs of the saints. So number one, it supplies their need. The saints have a real need, right? It's supplying their needs. It's providing for them in a time of desperation, in a time of deep need. So God is using you. Remember, God is the one who provides, but he uses you and me to provide for the needs of the saints. Okay, but look at that. But also is abounding. Okay, so not only do you meet the need, but there is an abounding consequence, an abounding blessing. And what is that? It says, is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Okay, so, and it, it explains it even further. Okay, how is it abounding in many thanksgivings to God? It says, while through the proof of this ministry, they, that is they is the recipients, okay, the people who are receiving this food or this money or whatever it is that you're giving, they glorify God. Okay, they glorify God for what? For the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. Okay, the gospel of Christ doesn't stop at salvation. You've got to live out the gospel. Okay, giving to the needs of others is living out the gospel. Okay, so they glorify. So, you know, it's abounding through many thanksgivings to God. What are they thanking the Lord for? God for. They're, they're glorifying God for your obedience. Okay, the obedience of your confession and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayers for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So it is bonding you with them. Okay. They are praying for you. And when they pray for you, you know, God is glorified. Okay. They are, they are glorifying God. They are thanking God. They are praising God for your generosity. And they are praising God because they know that it's God who prompted you to bring to them. Right. And I've heard, uh, you know, several stories of these people, how, they receive the food. Okay, I'm talking about this, this Operation Hunger and, and other similar things going on in the midst of this pandemic. How they receive those sacks of rice and, and they received it with prayers, you know, and tears in their eyes. And they thank God because to them, okay, it's not a sack of rice. To them, it was the provision of God. They were, they were literally, you know, with no food in their families. And here is God bringing, you know, a sack of rice and a sack of vegetables and oil and whatever else they need, you know, to make uh, a meager meal and survive, right? So, so these are some of the benefits of, of giving, you know, increased intimacy with the Lord, development of character, investing, you're investing for eternity, you know, you get a blessing, maybe even materially so that you can then respond by giving more and you bring glory to God when you meet the needs of your fellow saints. So, so these are the, the many benefits of giving. To uh, move on and talk now about the, the guidance. Okay, what does the Bible say? Uh, you know, what are the guidelines for giving? Okay, 
And like I said, there's a lot of verses. I've tried to pull some of these together. Uh, I'm just going to go through these very fast. They're not, they don't need a lot of explanation. Uh, and I'll uh, reference some of the, the scripture passages. You can take notes. Uh, first of all, you know, we have to give. Okay. Second Corinthians 9, 7, we read it. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, right? So giving acknowledges uh, God's ownership of our possessions and our money. We have to give generously, right? First Corinthians 13, 3. Uh, you know, giving should be with an attitude of love and love generates lavish giving. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, um, we'll come back to the cheerful, but you have to give generously, okay? Um, and, uh, you know, we'll talk about the tithe and all that in a minute here, but the tithe is just a starting point, okay? Once you start with it, you know, you need to stretch. You know, we need to stretch ourselves in this area of giving. We need to give sacrificially. You have to give regularly and systematically. Um, you know, in First uh, Corinthians 16, verse 2, uh, you know, it's not, it's not something you do sporadically, okay, whenever you have, right? It says that in First Corinthians 16, 2, uh, let me just pull up that verse and read it. Uh, as you can see, First Corinthians 6 uh, has a lot of stuff on giving. It says, uh, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must do also on the verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. So he's saying that on the first day of the week, when you meet to remember the Lord and to break bread, right? Uh, you know, and the principle we can draw from this is you come, bring the money as the Lord lays on your heart and you give, right? So we have to give regularly and systematically. It's not just when the evangelist visits, it's not just when some need comes into your heart. You got to do that too. But, um, but you want to have a, a pattern of regular and systematic giving. It's got to be a discipline. Just like, you know, we say you got to be disciplined about your quiet time and your prayer and all these kind of things. Study. Okay. You have to give deliberately with thought, prayer, and worship. It's an act of worship. Okay. In fact, uh, you know, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul commends the Philippian believers about the, their contribution to the saints in, um, in, in Judea. You know, he says that you are giving your gift is a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. It is an act of worship. Okay. Uh, when he talks about Cornelius, uh, it says that the Lord heard him because his arms, he gave arms to the poor. He gave, you know, money to the poor. And he says that your arms have, have risen up to me as a sweet smelling savor or a sweet smelling sacrifice. So we had to give with thought, prayer and worship. We had to give sacrificially. You know, we uh, talked in Second Corinthians 8, the Macedonian church, it says that, Paul says in verse 2 and 3, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3, he says that they are out of the most severe affliction, okay, they were, and their extreme poverty, all right, they gave. Okay, so these were not some well-off, you know, millionaire Christians with big businesses and all that, with a lot of wealth, but even out of their poverty, when they were made aware of the need of the saints in Jerusalem who were going through a time of famine, uh, just like some people here don't have food during the pandemic, right? They gave. Huh? And uh, then we have the, the, uh, the, uh, the example of the widow, okay? The poor widow, right? Um, you know, there's three types of giving, okay? You can give less than your ability, all right? You can give according to your ability and you can give beyond your ability, okay? The poor widow, you know, this is the widow who came and she gave two mites, you know, Jesus was sitting at the temple, and uh, and these Pharisees, the, 
the well-known religious leaders were coming and putting in lots of money into the pot. You know, there was a pot, uh, a vessel there kept where people could come and drop their box, drop their donations, you know, for the temple. And people were looking at them and he, Jesus observed one widow. She came and said that she put two mites. Okay, it's like two paise, let's say, okay, to relate to us. You know, here these guys were coming with big, big banknotes, you know, big notes, putting in, you know, hundreds, thousands. And this widow comes with two two mites, you know, two coins. And uh, and what does Jesus say? He says that Jesus says that she has given more because they gave out of their plenty, but she gave out of her nothingness, you know, out of having nothing. So the poor widow is an example of giving beyond our means, giving the best things, not just not what we don't want, uh, but parting with what we would rather keep, right? So that's giving beyond our ability. And that's what God is calling us to. And sometimes, you know, it takes... Uh, progression to get there. Okay, You can't just become a sacrificial giver overnight. You, uh, you need to build up that discipline. That's why the regular systematic giving, that's sort of where you start. And, and honestly, when I look at my own life, you know, that's where I started out. When I got my first job, okay, I was very, very, uh, you know, and I had a good example of giving, uh, you know, from my parents, from my father. I remember many years ago, my father, he started a, a fund for the, uh, you know, through uh, Gospel Fellowship Trust of India, uh, you know, he had some money he wanted to give away and, and he wanted them to start a fund to, to provide um, education for evangelist children, right? And I was aware of all this. And so, you know, I had learned some of these things and, and when I got my job initially, I started doing this in a very small way, right? And I used to give just 10% of my money. But, uh, you know, over time, the Lord has convicted me of this and I've been able to, by being regular, systematic and deliberate about it, you know, build up um, my own ability to give much, much more, right? And today I'm giving a lot more than just that, that 10%, uh, again, because the Lord is blessed and also he has convicted me of, uh, of the need to give more and to give sacrificially. Um, so generously, regularly, deliberately, sacrificially, few more. You are to give excellently. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it says, see that you excel in this grace of giving. So you got to, you know, what does it mean to excel? It means that you are highly competent in something. Okay, if you excel at your work, okay, if you, you know, Sujay excels at making PowerPoint, okay, since we're looking at his PowerPoint here, this came to my mind. Okay, compared to me, I mean, I don't excel, you know, one bit in PowerPoint, okay. Um, you know, somebody else excels in, in other things, right? We all excel in something or the other. So he says, this giving is something that you need to excel in, right? We hear this term of giving warriors. You know, there are people who, who really have that gift of giving. You know, giving is actually a gift as well, okay? Now, everybody is to give, but some people, you know, they have this gift of giving that their heart is all about giving and they will sacrifice everything, you know, and then give. And God wants us to be like this. So he wants us to develop and give, become excellent givers. Right? We have to give cheerfully. You have to delight in it. You know, not, not grudgingly, oh my goodness, you know, i got to give because, you know, we studied this thing and I'm being a bad Christian if I don't give and, you know, what kind of person am I? No, not grudgingly, right? God loves a cheerful giver. Um, and, and why should you be cheerful? Because number one, it doesn't belong to you. You're just giving it back to God. Number two, you're being a faithful steward. Number three, you are investing in eternity when you give cheerfully. You have to give worshipfully, you know. Uh, so I give you the example of, of Cornelius and the Philippians. Uh, you know, Paul says that 
their gift, uh, you know, was a sweet smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. So it should be, it's an act of worship. You know, when we talk about giving your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And having our minds transformed. As our mind is transformed, we become more excellent givers. We become more sacrificial givers. We become more cheerful givers, right? And so, you know, and, and sometimes we get there by, by getting started and doing it in a disciplined way, you know, and then the Lord starts providing and you say, oh, wow, the Lord has provided more. Let me give more, right? And that's way that it starts building up. And that's what I've experienced in my life. Um, you have to give proportionately, all right? So Acts eleven twenty nine says the disciples helped believers in Judea and they helped them how? Each according to his ability. Okay, so God is not legalistic about it. We'll, we'll look at that a little later. Now, God is not legalistic about it, but, but he expects us to give according to our ability and even beyond our ability. So each one, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, we read, right? Each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, right? So it should be proportionate. So let me give you an example. Okay, some of you, um, you know, I'll take Sean. Okay, Sean, because he works in my company. Okay, he joined as a fresher. Okay, so, uh, you know, I don't know if Sean is there somewhere, but, um, you know, uh, you know, he joined as a fresher, I don't know, two years ago, Sean, maybe. Uh, you know, obviously he gets paid like a fresher. Okay, now I'm the, you know, way up there, the boss in the company. Okay, now 10% to Sean might be, you know, a big thing. Okay, as a fresher, I know how much a fresher makes, how much they get paid each month, you know, and after they pay for the rent and all this stuff, you know, to give 10% is, is a sacrifice. Okay, now me, given how much money I make in my position, 10% is, is really nothing. All right, I mean, I, I don't need, you know, Sean needs his 90% to, to make his ends meet. Okay, I'm just using Sean as an example. I don't know anything about Sean's finances or anything. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, you know, he needs that 90%. I don't need the 90%. You know, I can live on maybe uh, 10 or 20%, okay, of what I make. You know, and then I should consider giving the rest to the Lord, right? Give proportionately. Uh, so give proportionate to the income that God gives us. So true generosity, I think the way to examine true generosity or, or you know, measure true generosity is, is how much of a per, how much uh, of by how much a person gives of what he or she has. Okay? How much of your income that you have are you giving, right? And how much do you retain for yourself? So it's it's and and and, and I'm just laying these guidelines out to come to the principle later. But what this drives towards is a principle that says, you know what? It's not ten percent. Okay, ten percent might be might be okay for some. But for somebody like me, 10% is nothing, okay? And 10% is not enough, not even close, okay? So, um, you know, and then uh, we have to give quietly. So what does this mean? It means that you have to do it with a pure motive, right? Not like the Pharisees to be seen. So Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So it's a matter of motive, okay? It's not if somebody knows or doesn't know. But why are you giving it? Am I giving it? So that I'll get a big name. Am I giving it because, uh, you know, I want people to think that I'm a, uh, a generous Christian? No, you've got to have an honesty uh, in your motives. Okay. Um, so, uh, so here are the guidelines. So there's like some 10 of them that we've been through. Uh, let me check. I'm okay. Let me quickly go to, uh, uh, you know, some principles. We want to be working our way towards the principles. 
okay, of giving. So uh, it is important that we go back to the Old Testament and understand what it teaches. Okay, so in the Old Testament there was something called the tithe. Okay, so the tithe is actually an Old Testament concept, not a New Testament concept. Okay, but you know we don't throw away the Old Testament. So it was a requirement, all right, and it was ten percent of everything that God gave. Okay, so ten percent of all of God's provision. So I talked about the first fruits, and interestingly, we think it was only ten. But actually, it was much more. So there were three tithes that were required of the children of Israel. Okay, there was two tithes that were annual that they had to give every uh, every year at two points in time during the year. Okay, ten percent and then ten percent, and then there was a third tithe that they gave once every three years. Okay, so even if you want to go back to the Old Testament, it wasn't ten percent; it was twenty-three percent on average. Okay, so three percent uh, from the once in three years. And then the tithe is not something that was introduced in the, you know, when God gave the law to Moses. Rather, we find examples of Abraham giving a tithe to uh, a priest called Melchizedek. We see Jacob promising a tithe to the Lord in Genesis chapter 28. Okay, so this was the Old Testament. There was this thing called a tithe. It was 23%. It was a legal requirement according to the Jewish law. Okay. But then beyond that, they also were told to bring voluntary and free will offerings. Okay? And these were above. So they gave the 23. And then out of the willingness of the heart, they gave for special needs. And one of the biggest ones, and I've been reading recently in, through Exodus and the latter few chapters of Exodus, it talks about how the people brought their, um, you know, their uh, gold and their silver to give to the tabernacle, uh, give for the building of the tabernacle okay, of Israel. And they gave so much that Moses had to tell them to stop. So and it says that they brought it out of the uh, out of the willingness of the heart. It was a voluntary. They didn't have to do it. Everybody didn't have to do it. They were requested it. Said we have this need. Tabernacle it requires all this gold. Okay, uh, all the silver. Uh, you know, bring all the stuff. So they brought all the stuff that they had accumulated. You know, when they left Egypt. Uh, and if we have time, I'll come back to uh, to that as well later. I think there's a great lesson there for us in in that whole incident. Um, so it wasn't specified how much to give, but they just brought. Okay, so that was a, so you had the tithe and you had a voluntary free will offering. Okay. So how much should I give? So here we come to probably what uh, everybody wants to know. Okay. So uh, New Testament does not recommend or reject the tithe. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, the, now we know the New Testament, we believe it's far superior to the old it's a complete fulfillment of the old. Uh, but, uh, you know, being under grace doesn't mean that we just throw away everything under the law. Okay, so, uh, you know, uh, there is a lot of ongoing value to certain aspects of the old covenant. And when you look at it, you know, you ask yourself some questions. You know, we're never told that tithing is superseded. We're never, Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, he talks about the tithe, he affirms it. Okay. So while the specific regulations of the Old Testament may not apply to us, okay, some of the principles, you know, we need to understand the principles. Why did God institute the tithe? Why did he set up this thing where they had to give a fixed amount? You know, why did he add voluntary free will offerings beyond that? And then we use that to come up with the principle. Okay, so if you look at the tithe, it was a minimum, right? It was a minimum. They had to bring that percentage, whether it was 10 or 20 or 23, whatever it was, they had to bring that, that one, they had no choice, right? It was, uh, but free will offerings were given on top of that, right? 
So, and then we go back to the, 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 the guidelines that we talked about from the New Testament, right? All those guidelines were from the New Testament. They, it teaches that we have to give in proportion to our material blessings, okay? And, uh, um, uh, you know, so we give in proportion to the material blessings that we have received and we have to give sacrificial, okay? So, and then finally, I'll just put one more point. These are some core principles for deciding how much to give, okay? So the tithe is the, the concept of the tithe. Tithe just means one-tenth, okay, 10%. Uh, it has some practical benefits because it's clear, it's consistent, and it, it can be taught easily. It's a good starting point to establish a discipline, right? It's only when you, when you build a discipline that it goes beyond being a discipline. It becomes cheerful, it becomes willing, it starts increasing. Uh, it's a systematic way and it's very easy to figure it out, okay? If you make 10,000 a month, it's 10% is 1,000, right? Just take off one zero. So it's very easy to figure out. So uh, with all of these principles, right? So New Testament doesn't recommend or reject the type. There is ongoing value to certain aspects, following, continuing certain aspects of the law. The tithe was a minimum in the Old Testament. The New Testament focuses on proportional giving, proportional to the blessings, material blessings that we've received, and it commends sacrificial giving. Okay, and then finally the tithe has many practical uh, benefits. So, with that in mind, here's here's the guidelines that I would I would give you. Okay, so the tithe the tithe is a good starting point, and it should be the minimum that is given. Okay, the minimum. So start there and stick with it, right? So our goal, we do that with the goal of increasing our giving beyond the tithe. So as God blesses us, that 10 goes to 12, goes to 15, goes to 18, goes to 20, goes to 30, okay? Uh, even up to, uh, you know, much, much higher than that, right? Um, you know, determine a fixed percentage. It leads to so whatever that number is, okay, and I, I don't want to be legalistic about this. You know, if you look at your income, okay, and, and you say, you know what, I, I've, I'm living uh, a frugal life, right? I am, I'm not like getting a big expensive, uh, you know, flat that I don't need. I'm not spending too much. And after all of that, you know what, I can only give 5%. Okay, that's okay, right? Even though I've said it should be the minimum, it's a matter of the heart. And when you do that faithfully, you know, the Lord will bless you and you will be able to get that five up to eight and up to 10 and beyond. And that's, that's, uh, that's something that, that I've seen happen in the lives of people. Okay, so determine a fixed percentage and, and this will lead to consistency and discipline. And then as your income grows, increase the percentage. Okay, so, you know, uh, what happens often is when the, when the increment comes in, right? You get an increment, you know, 8%, 10%, 20%, whatever it is, you know, uh, you know, our, our immediate in, uh, our immediate inclination is to take that and spend it on ourselves. Oh, good! Now I can afford a more furniture. I can afford a, a higher, uh, a more expensive car or a bike, or I can afford a, a bigger flat or, or, or spend more money on eating outside, whatever it is, right? But you know, as your income is growing, you know, you give more and more of that. So you know what? I'm getting this income. Okay? I'm getting this increase. Okay, I'm only going to spend. I'm just giving you an example. I'm only going to spend 50% of that increment on myself. Now I'm going to give 50% to the Lord. Again, I'm just giving you an example, okay? Rather than spend it all on myself, right? So the inclination might be to say, okay, you know, I get a, a $5,000 increment. I'm going to give 500 to the Lord because that's 10%. No, why not give 2,500 to the Lord and increase your overall, right? So don't use it to increase your lifestyle, but rather 
you know, increment that percentage as, as you, and then give off all your income. Okay? And what I mean is, you know, sometimes we get, um, you know, we might get commissions, we might get bonuses. You know, a lot of people, they pay, uh, they pay tithe uh, or contributions only out of their monthly income. Okay. And bonus you keep for yourself. Okay. Uh, I, I know the Lord convicted me of this because, you know, many of us take, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we actually measure our income by, uh, what is it called? Uh, take-home pay. Okay, you call it take-home pay here. Okay, net net pay. So you got, you know, you have this big amount, and and I know I get a lot of concern, a lot of complaints from people after they get the increment. They say, oh, they told me I got a, you know, so much increment, but hardly enough it showed up in take-home. You know, because you got cut for PF and this and that and all this and stuff. Right? But you know, and when I started giving, you know, I used to I used to tithe, <clears throat> and I told you earlier I started on ten percent. That's tithe from. 10% of my net pay, what you call take home. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, a few months after that, the Lord started convicting me. And of course, the difference between your gross pay and your net pay or your take home pay is, um, is basically, uh, you know, mostly taxes and maybe, you know, there's some PF and that uh, and all this other stuff, right? Uh, it's all stuff that's actually going into savings. Okay. Some of it. Okay. Taxes, of course, goes to the government. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I started getting convicted saying, you know what, why are you, why are you only giving the Lord a portion of, of your take-home? You know, uh, you know, just because the government is taking money from you, you know, doesn't the gross pay belong to the Lord? Is it only the net pay? And the Lord convicted me. So I actually sat there and I was so convicted that I went back. I don't remember how many months. It might have been almost a year at that point. And I calculated how much more I would have to give you know, if I calculated my tithe, my 10% on that gross pay, and I, and I, you know, basically, you know, gave all of that immediately uh, to the Lord. And ever since then, I've been following the same uh, principle on whatever the, the percentages that I give, I give it on, on my gross and not my net. And if the government increases the taxes, you know, too bad, the Lord still gets his share. Okay. Um, you know, if the, if the government cuts the taxes, then the, you know, the Lord is still getting his share, right? Um, so, uh, you know, and, and it's not just wages, it's commissions, bonuses, um, you know, interest, right? You pay a portion of the interest. That's an increase that God has given you. Uh, dividends that you get from your investments when you sell. Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, many of you probably haven't uh, sold, uh, um, you know, you, most of you are not old enough to have owned and sold property. Okay, but, uh, uh, but uh, maybe your parents are, you know. If you want to ask, you should ask your parents, you know, uh, it would be a good way to get into a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. You know, hey, when you sold that property, did you pay a tithe on the capital gain? You know, that will make some people think. But I doubt anybody does that. Okay, so, you know, we say, oh, my property, I bought it for, you know, five lakhs and now it's worth one crore. Okay, well, did you pay a tithe on the 95 lakh appreciation that uh, that, that property bought when you when you sold it? I doubt that anybody did. Okay, but but these are these are principles that we need to think about, you know. And this is what takes you from just being that sort of you know giver who's just giving because it's a requirement, or you think that God will get mad at you if you don't, or whatever, you know, towards being a generous, cheerful, you know. And I can tell you this that 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 as you as you develop the ability, the gift of giving, you know, it, it will become a situation where rather than trying to give, you are, you are looking for things to give. Okay, you're looking for avenues to give. 
and you are less and less concerned about what you're retaining and you just want to give and give and give. And, and, and that's just a, a wonderful place to be. Uh, and I talked about intimacy with the Lord earlier. You know, it really increases your intimacy with the Lord. Okay. So, um, so the tithe is a good starting point, but it should be the minimum. Uh, our goal should be to increase our giving beyond the tithe. Determine a fixed percentage uh, so that you are consistent and you're disciplined. And increase the percentage as it grows and give of all income. Okay. So whom should you give to? Well, uh, you know, and I'm taking a very broad view of giving here. Okay. We, we have this notion that giving is only giving to the Lord. And some people say, well, should I give my tithe to the church or should I give it to somebody else? Whatever. Right. Uh, but the Bible talks about giving much more expansive. Okay. So even giving to our own family needs, you know, taking care of your parents, it's, it's an act of giving. Um, you know, if anyone, First Timothy 5, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so if we have family members in need, okay, and I'm telling you today, when people are in need, the first resort should be their own family. You know, we should be giving to our own family members. Um, give to the local church, to Christian workers, to ministries. I don't need to talk more about that. Uh, you know, fair, the... Um, Fellow believers in need, Acts 2, 44 and 45, you know, in the early church and so many examples. Okay, uh, Galatians 6, 10, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we need to look for opportunities to help other believers, those without jobs, those who may not have sufficient income, those who are struggling to make ends meet, um, you know, and it is such a great testimony to the world, Christians helping other Christians in need. And, you know, the early church, when they did that, you know, they brought all, they sold their property, they brought to the feet of the apostles and, and it was um, distributed. You know, it says that, that people became fearful of them. They, they had this amazing reputation in that community. Okay, and then we are told to give to the poor and the needy, right? He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he, that is the Lord, will pay back what he has given. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the poor, again, that's Proverbs 19.17, Proverbs 22.9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. Chapter 28, verse 27 of Proverbs. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many persons. Now, now you know, uh, people start, when I talk about this, people usually ask me, so should I split my 10% between all those people? See, those are all things that the Lord doesn't legislate. He doesn't give you... Uh, you know, rules. There are no rules around this, right? Uh, go back to what I talked about. You, know, you want to be a generous giver, right? You you want to start with that, maybe with that 10%, but as you move up, you know, you can measure it any way you want. You can say, all of my giving constitutes this much of my income, you know, other than what I'm spending on my own needs or my immediate family's needs. And and what God wants us to do is, is become those cheerful givers. And I can tell you, that, um, you know, that there is a tremendous blessing in this. Okay? And the blessing is not material blessing. It's not living in comfort. You know, the Lord might provide all that to you. Praise God for that. But but ultimately, it's about being able to serve the kingdom okay? and do, uh, you know, do more uh, for the kingdom of God. And, and I just thank God as I have experienced this. I told you I started some 30 years ago, you know, with just giving 10%. And, and the Lord has blessed me so much that, that today, you know, I'm able to do what I call very strategic giving to where, you know, uh, and I'm not saying that telling this, you guys are my family, you know, it's not a boast. It's, you know, all glory, 
all glory to God, uh, but um, but to actually see you know entire ministries be stood up and uh, and, uh, and 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 needs being met, you know, and to me that's a greater blessing. You know, it's laying up treasures in heaven. And I just want to close with this. You know, I want to go back to that that story of the children of Israel. Okay, now uh, uh, you know Exodus chapter thirty-eight. You know, this is the children of Israel are called to bring these free will offerings, right? Uh, and um, um, you know, and, and Moses issues this command, right? So, so this is happening. Um, um, you know, and you know, Moses has gone uh, up to the mountain, and then he comes back with the law, and he finds a golden calf, and he breaks all that. He goes back, he gets it again, and he's told the children of Israel what needs to happen, and then he asks them to contribute, right? And and uh, it tells us there that, um, you know, uh, go back to chapter 36 of Exodus. It says, they continued bringing to him, uh, Exodus 36 and verse 3, they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him feeble offerings every morning. Okay, and then it goes on to say, uh, and then the people who are doing the work, the craftsmen, they say the people bring they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. Okay, and uh, then we go on and Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from there to stop them from bringing. Okay, they were giving so much for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Right, uh, and uh, if I come back to uh, go go over to uh, Exodus thirty-eight, uh, listen to how much they brought. Okay, all the gold that was used, Exodus thirty-eight and verse twenty-four, all the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of the offering was twenty-nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, verse twenty-five, and the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, I went and did some research on this. Um, it's pretty easy to find. You know, you can just Google it. Uh, and uh, the amount of gold, okay, that they're describing here, okay, that is the 29 talents and 730 shekels, okay, that comes to 2,193 pounds of gold, okay? 2,193 pounds of gold, um, okay? Because one talent is like 35 kilos or something. And the silver, okay, was even more. It was 7,544 pounds of silver, okay? And if you were to put it into modern terms, the amount of gold that they bought was worth today in terms of the price of gold, it would be worth $33 million, Okay, and the silver would be worth about $2 million. So almost $35 million worth of gold and silver these people brought. Okay, and, and you can imagine how much gold and silver they got from the Egyptians. Now, what I really wanted to get to is though, uh, the point I want to bring out is if you go back okay, uh, to, uh, to the story of the golden calf, um, you know, the, uh, and that is in... Uh, you know, and, and interestingly, the, um, you know, the, at that time, what happened is, you know, the Moses is up on the mountain and, um, you know, and, and they're up on the mountain and then 
he returns, right? And God tells him there's something uh, going on down there, right? So um, I'm just trying to find it here. Uh, and uh, and he comes down and, uh, you know, they, and, 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 and he, he goes and, and Aaron has built this calf, right? So uh, Aaron builds the calf. Uh, and how did he build the calf? Right? So here we have the same children of Israel. And what, what did they do? Okay, they brought the gold, you know, and they gave enough gold there to build the golden calf. So it's the same children of Israel, the same gold and the silver that they had gotten from the Egyptians. You know, God had given them this wealth. Okay, and when you go back to when they left Egypt, so it wasn't their smartness or their, uh, you know, their, uh, uh, you know, their, uh, you know, their uh, ability that got them the gold. It says uh, in Exodus 12 and verse 33, the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. And the Lord, verse 36, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Okay, thus they plundered the Egyptians. So it was the Lord who gave them favor. So the Lord gave them. So we've been talking about all our wealth. Everything comes from the Lord. Okay, he gave them this wealth, all these tons and tons of gold and silver, right, jewelry, you know. And here we have two contrasting uses of it, right? First, they use it to build a golden calf, to build an idol, to satisfy the flesh, right? It was, it was pure flesh. They said, you know, make us a god so that we might worship him and make offerings to him, right? And, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, and Moses says, uh, you know, that uh, the people, it says they broke off, Exodus 32, they broke off the golden earrings, which were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So, all this wealth given to us by the Lord, you know, we can either use it for idolatry, okay? And what is idolatry? It's not building a golden calf. It's, it's really spending it on myself, spending it on my own selfish needs, you know, or, you know, they can bring it for a wonderful thing, the tabernacle, you know, the implements of the tabernacle to showcase the majesty and the holiness of God, that God himself came and dwelt uh, among his people. So we have that choice, you know, and the Lord wants us to give um, liberally, he wants us to become, uh, you know, people who are giving uh, to him and and build up our giving capability. Right? Apply all of these principles that we talk about. Okay. So, what is um, man's approach? It is that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and uh, you know, uh, the God's approach is that it is more blessed to give. Sorry, man's approach is more blessed to receive than to give, and God's approach is it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, just think about all these things. You know, it's a lot of stuff that I talked about here. Um, you know, and uh, maybe what I'll also do is send out some of the notes so that you can, you can of the things that we've talked about so far uh, in the WhatsApp groups. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can think through this and we'll maybe start next week with a, a little bit of Q&A. Okay? So I don't want to keep everybody from their lunch. All right, I will, uh, as I said, please do think about questions and maybe we'll even do a pigeonhole next week so that uh, some folks may not be comfortable asking, uh, you know, prefer it to be anonymous. So we'll, uh, we'll allow for that in the pigeonhole. Okay, so we'll spend uh, maybe the first half next week uh, asking about questions and then we'll get into the next topic, which is about spending. Uh, 
think that's another important topic with lifestyle choices and so on. And they all sort of ties together, right? All right, thank you very much, everybody. Have a good rest of your day.